Listening to Sons of Thunder, a podcast that brings you faith, fellowship, and fire, giving you the spiritual weapons you need to do battle for the Lord. And now, please welcome your hosts, the Dynamic Deacon and the Man on Fire. This is Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. And I'm joined by my brother from another mother. <laughs> With and the same John, holy mother. That's right. They're the same holy mother. Amen. John Sablon, the man on fire. What's going you on, are Deacon? Most definitely that, brother. You are the man on fire. And you brother. are the dynamic deacon. Yeah. <laughs> well, we hope that you're all having a, a, a very blessed uh, Lent. I hope your Lent's off to a good start. Uh, that uh, everything that you're doing is moving you deeper to intimacy with the Lord, bringing you uh, to deeper conversion, uh, really taking time to step back and reflect on what's going on in your life and what's really important, and really taking your faith to that next level. And uh, that's what we're here to help you do on Sons of Thunder. We're here to to, to, to help you kick it up a notch <laughs> for the Lord, you know, to get over the fear of Because sometimes as Catholics, when we, when we get uh, afraid, we get stuck. And when we get stuck at a certain point in our faith, we get comfortable. Mm-hmm. And if you want to take your faith to that next level, you got to get like Jesus on the cross. You got to get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You got to get uncomfortable. And um, it's entering into that that beautiful mystery of the cross, that that breaking yourself open and pouring yourself out, that kenosis, that self-emptying gift of love, and where we really truly find uh, the meaning in our lives. And so, uh, and that's what we're here to help, help people do. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Deacon, amen to that. I mean, um, you know, the, the idea of Sons of Thunder, is, as we both talked about, is really to be a resource for the faithful out there to, again, take the, 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 the truths, the richness of our Catholic faith and to distill that in a way that is, is, is applicable, practical, feasible uh, to apply to your everyday life so that you can kick it up a notch. And so Deacon and I are here to journey with you, not just during the Lenten season. Of course, we are in the midst of it all, but just through life in general. So it's a, it's a pleasure as always, my brother, to be here with you uh, on this uh, episode of Sons of Thunder. You know, it's great how uh, God brought us together, man. Yeah. You know, at that, that first conference that you were, or, or you were hosting, World Ablaze, yeah. and uh, we just, like, connected, man, just, like, right off the bat, you know? Amen. Yeah. And it's, it's been a real blessing how we've been able to collaborate and work together. Um, and this podcast is just, a, you know, a, a, another experience of that. And uh, I hope that, that uh, the food that we provide will help nourish people's souls and so they can desire uh, God more and more in their life every day. Yeah, me too, brother. Me too. It's been it's been a fun ride. I'm looking forward to uh, the fruit and more fruit as we continue to journey together. So let's talk about today's episode, Deacon. I know I had reached out to you and as we were planning for the the, the show, um, you know, there's there's been a little bit in my own personal experience. I know you can probably relate where there's this, you know, this idea and this approach to evangelization where we kind of use everything the church has to offer at our disposal. And, and in some cases, we can kind of throw out the window with regards to reverence and respect. And, and what I'm talking about specifically is, is the sanctuary, is church, is the house of God. And I, I was describing to you, obviously, before we got on, um, just my 
my social media encounter, right, with some other fellow Catholics, um, where there's, you know, just using the sanctuary as a place of, um, you know, music, dance, um, regardless of whether we're singing for Jesus and whatnot, but really dancing on the, the sanctuary, that kind of thing. And, you know, there's, there's definitely some differences of opinion on that. And so I figured, well, why not, um, being that uh, both you and I are here to help the faithful learn and grow in their faith, why not bring that to one of the podcasts and say, you know, what should be our, our approach to sacred spaces? What should be our approach to um, the house of God, especially as we're in the season of Lent and how we're supposed to be really introspective and reflective on, you know, trimming out the things of this world and disconnecting from the things of this world and looking less like the world and more like Christ. So I figured, hey, what better topic than to talk about how do we approach the sacred? Well, you know, I, I think everybody can agree that the, that during Mass, you know, when we have a church, uh, Mass in the church, that uh, that space should be reserved for things that are sacred, especially during the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So our music, our dress, our uh, how we, uh, the demeanor, how we carry ourselves, what we say, how we sing, everything has to be pointed and directed toward that liturgical action that brings us deeper into the mystery of Christ, that draws us, uh, that draws, because uh, what we're doing is we're, we're expressing love for our Lord um, as he's feeding us with his word uh, that prepares our hearts, minds, and souls to then receive him again, body, blood, soul, divinity, being fed by the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist. And so our actions is a, a dialogue in that in that conversation, uh, entering into the, the, the deepest mysteries of our faith, the most holy Eucharist. Um, the, 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 the sacrament that all the other sacraments are pointed and directed toward. Um, the most intimate encounter we have with God on earth is receiving him in the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist. So I think everyone agrees that during Mass, uh, there, there's no question that there's a, a, should be a deep reverence and sense of the sacred, especially in, in, in the entire church, of course, but most especially in the sanctuary where the sacrifice takes place. I think where people may disagree <laughs> is, uh, say, you know, do you want to have an event in the church and it's not Mass? Uh, like, for example, parish mission. Mm -hmm. you know, I do parish missions, you do parish missions, John, and, and, and even men's conferences they have in the church. Mm -hmm. They'll, they'll sometimes, what they'll do is they'll remove the Blessed Sacrament out of the church. And, of course, this, these events are not happening during Mass. Mm -hmm. So it's not during Mass. The Blessed Sacrament is removed from, from the church. And so I think some think that some people are thinking as well, if that's the case, then you can pretty much do anything in the church then. Mm -hmm. And then another school said, well, wait a minute. Even though the Blessed Sacrament is not there, it's not Mass, it is still a sacred place. And we should still have reverence for God's house, even though he's not there. Uh, it's, still, it's still a consecrated space. It's still a consecrated area. And we should have reverence in, in what we do. So you have a Mozart, you know, say you want to have like a, 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 a concerto of sacred music, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, the Missa Cantata or something like that, that use in extraordinary form. And you had singers. And you had a, a, like a um, like a, a five piece a core, um, uh, concert choir or something like that that are in there and, and, they're, and they're singing sacred sacred music again not mass blessed sacraments removed or or a men's conference or a women's conference or a parish mission that kind of thing. So, but where where do you draw the line though? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, what kinds of things in that space are okay, and what's not okay? Is it a matter of opinion, or? Or, or is it 
is it where our church teaches us that we have to respect the spaces where we honor and worship God? I think that's that's what the question is. Yeah, so let's start back so we can help the listeners. Let's help the listeners understand what constitutes a sacred space. So if you look at canon law, 1205, sacred place, and this is from, from the canon law, sacred places are those which are designated for divine worship or for the burial of the faithful by a dedication or a blessing. You brought that up, Deacon, about it being a blessed consecrated place which the liturgical books prescribe for this purpose so that tells you right there that it is designated for worship or burial of the faithful which requires a dedication and and a blessing right um canon twelve ten says of those sacred places that only those things which serve the exercise or promotion of worship piety or religion are permitted in a sacred place so anything not consonant with holiness of the place is forbidden. Ah, I see. And, and the same thing in, in the general structure of the Roman Missal, it says in, uh, in paragraph 295, the sanctuary is the place where the altar stands, where the word of God is proclaimed, and where the priest, the deacon, and the other ministers exercise their offices. It should be suitably marked off from the body of the church, either by its being somewhat elevated or by a particular structure or ornamentation. Um, it, should, it should, however, be large enough to allow the Eucharist to be celebrated properly and easily seen. That's what the space is for. Mm-hmm. So, and, and typically, you know, and you know this, John, uh, when they have those kinds of events in the church, it's not in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm speaking at, or you're speaking at a men's conference or a parish mission, we're not in the sanctuary. That's right. Speaking from the sanctuary. We're usually, I, I usually have to speak in front of the sanctuary, you know, off of the altar. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, again, if there's a, a musical concert where they're playing sacred music, again, it's not in the sanctuary. It's usually in the choir area or something like that. You know, so so that that space um, should be reserved particularly for, for sacred actions. Yeah, I mean, you know, for folks out there that may be struggling with this a little bit, right, because there, there's obviously going to be a couple of schools of thought of there about just like you said, where while most can agree that outside the context of mass um, or in the context of mass, yeah, we can all get ourselves there. But outside the context of mass, you know, what, what, how much is okay? And I think we have to still go back to that place that we're talking about in most cases, daily, the daily offering of the holy sacrifice of the mass occurs in the sanctuary, in the church. And of course, for us, we know as as Catholics that the source and summit of our Christian life is the Eucharist, is therefore is the Mass. And to to somehow confuse and blur those lines between what goes on in there, it just seems like we are, you know, not only are we watering down the sacredness of that, we're just we're taking away from the the ultimate sacrifice that occurs in that sanctuary when we, we kind of put whatever we think we need to put in there on the calendar um, or use it as a place, again, that, you know, going back to the Code of Canon Law, it does it promote piety and worship and, um, you know, uh, religion in that sense. And, you know, so Deacon, can you help us understand even how our, our, our Jewish brothers and sisters approach the Holy of Holies? And we think about, I mean, that is, when we think about the altar and we think about the sanctuary, right, we're, we're, t- we're essentially talking about the Holy of holies uh, and the place where only the high priest could enter into and it was to offer sacrifice. And this is what we're talking about. Um, 
you wouldn't be expecting somebody to be holding a, a concert in the middle of the uh, of the cemetery, right? I mean, people would probably be thrown <laughs> off a little bit by that. Because and why? Why is that, right? Would you expect the same? Because you're expecting it's it's a it's it's a uh, you're expecting piety, you're expecting reverence, you're expecting silence, and 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 really a, a place of of worship, and and you know, just uh, it has to be different than what the rest of the world looks like. So. The concept of holy of holies, uh, deacon, and and even what our you know Jewish brothers and sisters thought about that when we think about you know what what occurs in the context of the mass and the the representation. I mean that's what we're really saying, right? That because of what happens um, in mass, this is what we're talking about here. It's it's a sacred space, and so to use that in any other way that may be either scandalous or contrary to that area. How do we help our, our listeners understand that a little bit better? Okay, I'd say just a couple things uh, quickly here. First of all, the, the words of Jesus at the Last Supper are extremely important. In fact, if the priest does not say the words that Jesus said at the Last Supper, there is no Eucharist. That's how powerful his words are. Mm. Now, one of the things he says is that this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. Mm-hmm. And he used that word specifically, covenant. Why? Because he's enacting a covenant that will that will last forever until the end of time. That he comes back to reclaim the kingdom for the Father. So there, as you remember, in the Old Testament, there were a series of covenants mm-hmm. <laughs> that were established. Each of those covenants were broken. You know, God kept his part of the covenant, we, but we failed. Mm-hmm. And so now God has established a new covenant, a perfect covenant covenant that we couldn't mess up, but that we could participate in. So that's why Christ is the priest and the victim. He's the one who offers the sacrifice as the perfect priest, and he's also the one who is sacrificed as the perfect victim, you see? Mm-hmm. And so we enter into that. So Jesus says, this is the blood of covenant. It's a reference back to Exodus chapter 24. Now, Exodus 24, Moses is establishing one of the covenants with the people here. And so what he does, he built an altar that had... Um, uh, 12 pillars that represent the 12 tribes of Egypt. And then he um, took the blood uh, of the bull. He had 12 bulls. He slipped the 12 bulls, took the blood. He put half the blood in the basins and half the blood he threw against the altar. So then he took, he took half the blood and threw the blood on the altar. Why? As it says in Leviticus chapter 17, the blood makes atonement by reason of the life because the blood is the life of a thing. And so he threw the blood in the altar as a sign of, of, uh, uh, of life. And so then he took the book of the covenant, it says in Exodus 24, verse 8, uh, verse 4, 7. Then he took the blood of the covenant, uh, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it upon the people. So half the blood was on the altar that makes atonement for sin because by reason of the life, he takes the other half of the blood and throws the blood on the people. Now you have an understanding which is we, we are covered with the blood of the lamb and the holy sacrifice of the mass. He literally, he throws the blood on the people mm-hmm. and he says, behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you. And you've, again, going now go back to Jesus. He says this at the Last Supper. This is the blood of the covenant that will be poured out for you. Almost exactly mm. the phrasing that, Mos- that Moses used in Exodus 24. Because the blood that's going to be spilled now is from the cross. Mm-hmm. That's, one, that's one thing. The second thing is this. 
Um, later on in, in uh, Exodus 25, it talks about the place where the the, uh, the presence of the Lord was to be to be kept. So it goes through this elaborate explanation about the the table and all this kind of stuff. That, but here it says this, and you shall set. Uh, and after everything is set, the tabernacle set. Um, it says, and you. Uh, uh, this is uh, Exodus 25 verse 30. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me always. The bread of the present, in Hebrew, is lechem hapanim, lechem hapanim. Now, some some people translate it as showbread. That is a horrific mm. translation. Not even close. Lechem hapanim literally means the bread of the presence, or panim could also be translated as face. Mm. Now, think about it. Whose presence, whose face mm -hmm. is to be set before me always? The presence of God. The presence of God, the bread of the face, the bread of the presence. It was, and when it was not displayed, it was supposed to be in a tabernacle. And when the tabernacle was it's supposed to always be a light lit. Mm -hmm. Whenever the Lehem Hapanim was present in the tabernacle, there was supposed to be a light there to show the presence of God dwells therein. Come on, we still do that to this day. I know. It's 2020, we're still doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the second thing. And the third thing is this. Jesus also says, do this in memory of me. He does not say... When you do this, remember me. Mm -hmm. And extremely important. Uh, because for the, the word there in Hebrew, well, it's adamnesis in Greek, but zacher in Hebrew. And zacher, um, for the Israelites, memory wasn't just remembering the past. It was something that's alive. Memory is a living thing. Um, so, for example, when they celebrate the Passover, even to this day, they're not just remembering what happened 3,000 years ago. Uh, at the Exodus, when Moses brought the, the the chosen people out of the land of Egypt, a land of slavery, it's the graces and the blessings of that one event are made real and present today. So they're not celebrating the the the, the Exodus over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's the one. Uh, uh, act of the of the um, Exodus that they're uh, that they're entering into. The same grace and blessing they received 3,000 years ago are the same grace and blessing they received today. And I'll prove it to you. If, you, if your Bible's open to Exodus 13, verse 8, Exodus 13, 8, and some of you, uh, our listeners, I'm sure are familiar with the Seder meal, with the Passover meal, where the youngest child asks, why is this night different from every other night? Why are we eating unleavened bread? Why are we eating bitter herbs? Exodus 13, 8 is the response of the father to that child. You shall tell your son on that day. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of the land of Egypt. Mm -hmm. Not what your ancestors did 3,000 years ago when they came out of the land of Egypt. No, what the Lord did for me when I came out of the land. Present tense. Mm -hmm. Because the graces and blessings of that event are made real and present day. And that's what Christ is doing at the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. The same graces and blessings that flow from that cross 2,000 years ago are the same graces and blessings we receive in the holy sacrifice of the mass that takes place on that altar in the sanctuary. So those are just three little vignettes that you can think about when we think about what is happening and why the church and particularly the sanctuary is such a sacred space for us as Catholics. Yeah, that was awesome way to break open scripture. Another scripture passage that comes to mind, Deacon, is, you know, as we prepare to enter into Holy Week, Right on Palm Sunday, we hear about Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, and, and I, we're in cycle A, so we'll be going through Matthew's version. And the, the, first, the very first act after Jesus enters into Jerusalem is 
the cleansing of the temple. So, <laughs> so, so he enters into the temple of God, sacred scripture tells us, and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, quote, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And, you know, in that sanctuary, everything you just beautifully described, Deacon, is this is a house of prayer. This is a house of the holy sacrifice of the mass where we make present, right, the, 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 the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. And so, you know, how is our actions, how are our, our thoughts, our words, everything that we do in that very place speaking to that very reality? And I, and I think that's what it is, is a struggle is, is even if we can argue and split hairs over, hey, John, we're having parish missions or, you know, this this concert or this, you know, this 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 Jesus song that I'm singing or rapping or whatever it is I'm doing for one never should be done on the sanctuary. I think we could hopefully just get there that should never be OK for us to step into the sanctuary where that sacrifice is, takes place. But even in the place of God where there's there's a lot more appropriate places to be able to do that because what does it tell the faithful, especially those that aren't formed well? And we know we have a problem with formation in these days, right? Deacon where people just don't know. So if you, or I come in there and we're showing, we're blowing, blurring those lines, we're leading the faithful to think that that's actually okay. That's actually an appropriate response in the sanctuary. Um, even though, you know, uh, doing certain things um, in missions or conferences, like you're talking about, um, are about God. It's it just, is it the right, uh, is it the right event, if you will? Is it the right action that um, really leads to that piety and that worship that um, is due, the highest form due to, to God in that, in his sanctuary, in his house of prayer? Yeah. And, and maybe we should roll up our sleeves here and talk about some practical things. Yeah. For example, let's talk about um, dance. OK, because sometimes things are uh, much is said about liturgical dancing or dancing in the church. Mm -hmm. um, here, here's the thing. Um, when I was in South Africa, I was in Soweto. I had a, the honor and privilege of serving as deacon and preaching on the Sunday mass in Soweto in South Africa. And the mass was two, two and a half hours long, but it seemed like 10 minutes. It was awesome. Mm. And during that mass, they were bringing the gifts up. And they weren't dancing, but the women who were bringing the gifts up, and they were bringing not just the bread and wine for the sacrifice, they were bringing fruit, they were bringing the fruits of their heart, literally their harvest from their gardens, mm. their first fruits. Some of them were bringing eggs um, and all kinds of things as they're offering to God, because in some cases, that's all they can offer, mm. you know, and and as they were walking up, the, uh, as they were moving up, the aisle, they were like swaying back and forth and it was like it wasn't dance it was i mean i i was looking at that like this is not entertainment this is prayer mm. the way they were moving it was just so beautiful and i remember sitting there looking at this going man that's just awesome that's just so beautiful because you could see from the depth of their being in that culture mm -hmm. that that movement spoke uh, that movement was a way of expressing um the depth of their love for god and that, and that you could see that even when they were holding the gifts and moving, like, you know, it was, um, it was, um, you know, you know how, uh, uh when we're in a state of grace, mm -hmm. we're one with all the people around us and with all of nature. Mm 
you know, mm-hmm. and you could see that beautiful connection in the way they swayed and moved and and offered like they were offering their whole bodies and not just the gifts they're offering themselves. And but for us in in uh, in, in, in the Western world, especially the United States, dance for us is entertainment. Mm-hmm. It I don't care what kind of form of dance you're talking about. For us, it is entertainment. We we pay to see people dance. Mm-hmm. So liturgical dance does not belong in the church. Um, and if you want to, I mean, for example, when the, the Herod, you know, the, the mm-hmm. girl danced in front of him and they got John the Baptist's head. You know? so, <laughs> in fact, I heard a joke once. I heard a joke once from a, from a, a priest who uh, the bishop was there. And so, and so the, the priest wanted to show up. Let's do some liturgical dancing. And I said liturgical dancing. And the, and, and the priest, after it was done, the priest leaned over to the bishop and said, what do you think, Your Excellency? And the bishop said, if she asks for your head, she has it. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously he'd appreciate that. Um, you know, but that, that kind of thing does not belong um, in the church, yeah. especially during Mass, of course. Right. Even if it's before Mass, even if it's not Mass, that that kind of secular expression, I don't think belongs in the church because it's not for the worship of God, um, and there's there's nothing to you can point to that will show me that as Americans as Western Catholics, that that form of expression is cultural for us is worship. That's yeah. one thing. Then the other thing we need to talk about is is singing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like I said, if you if you have sacred choral music, and I'm not just talking about Gregorian chant, sacred choral, I mean gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some uh, gosh, man. I mean, I was moved to tears um, at, at a church in Washington D.C. The music, which I mean, just hit you to the heart, man. It was beautiful. I mean, deep expression of love for God. Mm-hmm. Or even our parish in, in Immaculate Heart in, in Portland, Oregon. We have a Vietnamese choir. Oh, man. John, what? <laughs> man, I am just, I am just like, I love that choir. I don't, I don't understand what they're saying, mm-hmm. but it is so beautiful. That expression in that Vietnamese language and the singing and the harmony. Oh my God. It just, it just, want, it just draws you in mm-hmm. to deeper love of God. Now, I think the mistake that we make sometimes, John, and and, and, and I'm not criticizing any kind of youth movements and stuff like that, but we, we try to take secular type of worship music and bring it into the church and say we have to reach young people. Yeah. You know, but here, here's the thing. Is that music keeping young people in the church? You know what I'm saying? In other mm-hmm. words, when they go off to college, is it working? Adults, mm-hmm. Are they staying in the church? My answer is no. Mm-hmm. They're not there for the. They're, they're leaving the church because they don't know who Jesus is. That's right. They're not in love. That's right. It has nothing to do with the music. They're not in love, and that's what we have to emphasize. And so instead of bringing secular forms of entertainment in, and trying to adapt it, um, you know, so it it sounds Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we, we can't bring the world into the church. We need to take the church into the world Amen. filled with word and sacrament. We need to take that and, and become Eucharist to the world. We need to be the ones influencing. So outside of church, if you, you want to listen to, you know, Christian rap and that, there's some good Christian rap out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I enjoy listening to some of it, quite frankly, mm-hmm. but not during mass. Yeah. You know, I enjoy different forms of expression of worship and stuff, but not during mass and not in church. Mm-hmm. And that's appropriate and fine. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so but I think that's the distinction that we're drawing here, John. Yeah. What you do in that sacred space and what you do outside of that sacred space. Yeah, I think you're spot on, Deacon. There's a time and place for everything. And I myself, especially when I'm depending on the context, depending on the audience. I mean, I was just at a, a Keone and I were leading a, a, a high school youth retreat. You, you best believe we were playing some, you know, uh, you know, some Christian hip hop and things that they can relate to. But it still spoke about Jesus. And, you know, so it was appropriate in that. But we're also at a retreat center. Right. So we're also we weren't doing that in the chapel. Right. It was it was it was a lot different. And I think the other thing, Deacon, that you pointed out that I just want to comment on as we kind of wrap up this episode is, is the um, is it working? Right. We keep doing the same thing. And we would keep talking about this stuff about relating to, you know, being relevant and relating to this generation. And yet people are leaving in droves, especially the young people, especially the young people. So um, where, and they have such a hard time. I mean, we all have a hard time, not just the youth, not just the millennials, but we all have a hard time experiencing the transcendent. And so what are we doing when we, to your point, right? When you hear, especially the, 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 you know, I would appreciate the Gregorian chant or, you know, things that you aren't no, normally hearing out there in the world at Starbucks or wherever you are in your normal circle and in, in, in the Safeways or whatever your grocery store may be. You're not hearing it out there, but when you come into the sanctuary and the place where you're supposed to encounter and experience God, um, obviously most especially in, in, in the Blessed Sacrament of the Altar, but um, just in everything like we talked about, you know, we, we talked about that the sacred space is going to consist of imagery and even that music should elevate us beyond this world. It should elevate yes. our minds towards God. And quite honestly, when we just throw a couple of Jesus, if we just if we just have this hip hop or whatever it is, even if we're if we have this um, pop type music and we just sprinkle Christianity on it, it just looks like the world, to be honest. It's not elevating us. Doesn't mean your heart doesn't be moved to to, you know, to be a faithful Christian, a faithful follower. You feel like a child. I'm just saying there's a difference. And if you encounter that difference, you know. So it's like, we, you know, people who know, know. Right. That when you enter into a well done liturgy, if you come into a well done conference or experience where it looks less like everything else that you experience 24 seven and looks more like, wow, this is angelic. This is this is, you know, divine. This is leading me towards God. Then you can experience the transcendent. And let's be honest with ourselves. Are you don't get that? They're, they're so inundated and overly stimulated with so much things of the culture and the world. They don't even get to experience that. So why would we think that somehow dressing up secular type things and putting them in the context, especially in the sanctuary somehow makes that better. And I think that's the part that we're, we're really trying to help the faithful understand is to draw those lines of distinction, to understand that there's a time and a place and appropriateness to certain things. But definitely when it comes to the sanctuary, let the house of God remain a house of prayer is what we're trying to say. Well, well think about it like this, John, because you brought up in the beginning, we talked about sacred spaces. You talked about, um, cemeteries. Yeah. Now you would not think, oh, let's, you know, grandma died. Let's go have a picnic on grandma's grave. You know, and all the little grandkids are running around. Wait, Johnny, don't hide behind that tombstone. Come over here. <laughs> you, know, you would never have a picnic in a tombstone and a cemetery. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make, that's a place where we respect those who have died. Mm-hmm. You know, and you would never have a party or, or a picnic or anything like that in on, on people's graves in a cemetery. That's disrespectful. Mm-hmm. How much more than in a sacred space where you're actively worshiping God, even though mass may not be taking place, that space is still sacred. Amen. I mean, the people in the cemetery, they ain't doing nothing but lay, laying there waiting for Jesus to come back. <laughs> you know? I mean, if that's a sacred space, what about the church where you're actively every day worshiping the Lord? 
you know, and it's present and vital. And, and, and to your point about the kids, so that's one thing, because if you don't respect the space, how do you respect what goes on in that space then? Mm-hmm. And then the, 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 the three things I see with young people, one, they want to hear the truth and they're not hearing it. Mm-hmm. Number two, um, there's a serious disconnect between their faith and their everyday lived experience. That's right. And three, they don't know, they truly don't know how much God loves them. They don't know how much God loves them, truly loves them. And my, they, I, I would say that the, the secularizing, bringing secular elements into the mass uh, so that we could reach the kids is not meeting any of those three reasons why kids are leaving the church today. Yeah. Well, d- data is showing that, right? I think data is really showing that. So my dear brother, it's been, uh, gee, how time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> Amen. Uh, so, Amen. you know, it's been a fun episode and we hope that our listeners benefit from this and understanding again, you know, what is a sacred space, how to approach that. And even if we differ on, on uh, many ways of how we can evangelize the hearts of the faithful out there, maybe we can agree on the one thing and that God's house is a house of prayer and reverence and that it is for a place of worship and we hope that uh, both Deacon and I's commentary has helped you get closer to that understanding. And um, Deacon, before we go, can we all get your wonderful uh, blessing before we uh, end this episode? Sure, man. Almighty God bless you and protect you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Until next time, Deacon, God bless you and your family. All right. God bless you, brother. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sons of Thunder with the dynamic deacon and the man on fire. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe, and find out more at deaconharold.com and johnsablon.com. God's peace.